the Fantasy Football Welcome to the Fantasy Football Beat, the podcast that will never let your team die in darkness. Hi, I'm Mike Hume. Hi, I'm Des Beeler, and I'm sure MLB executives are thrilled that the World Series Game 7 is tonight rather than tomorrow night when it would have to go up against Jets-Bills. Hi, I'm Neil Greenberg, <laughs> and I've eaten so much sugar before this show, I'm just going to apologize in advance. Yeah, well, we got one or two teeny <laughs> tiny things to get to this week. Wait, Neil, didn't say, you didn't sound like you were on a sugar rush there. You sounded sort of, sort of down. Are you crashing? Are you already in the crash port part of the, the sugar rush? I'm just trying to moderate myself because... <laughs> I really feel like I'm going to jump out of my seat. Okay, good. Both for excitement with yes. all the trades that went down. Right. And I've had so many candy bars. It's a very small booth, Neil, so just restrain your limbs as best as you can. So, like I mentioned, one or two little things to get to this week. Yep. We have more trades since our last podcast in the NFL than I think all of my fantasy leagues combined, which is just absolutely bonkers. We got Jimmy Garoppolo going from the Patriots to the 49ers, Jay Ajayi going from the Miami Dolphins to the Philadelphia Eagles, and Kelvin Benjamin going from the Carolina Panthers to the Buffalo Bills. And that's really just the fantasy-centric players we're talking about. There were even more trades than that. Just absolutely, absolutely bonkers trade deadline. Oh, and stop me if you've heard this one before. Ezekiel Elliott's suspension is set to begin on Sunday. Unless, again, stop me if you've heard this before, he wins his appeal, which we're supposed to hear about Friday. So, yeah. It's not over yet? It's not over yet. It's the undead court case (laughs) of the NFL season. So there is fantasy impact aplenty there, but through all these moves, there is one crystal clear takeaway from me, gentlemen, which brings me to the big idea. The big idea. Get him off your team. Drop him now. He could be the surprise of the 2017 season. That guy is a walking ACL team. Oh, yeah. He's a major sleeper. All right, so in terms of players who were already on fantasy rosters, right, because a lot of these guys we're going to be talking about probably weren't rostered in a league yet, but of those who are on rosters, the only clear-cut winner to me coming out of this wild week are owners of Kelvin Benjamin. Oh. Yes. Well, that wasn't the big idea I thought was coming. <laughs> All right, good, good. I like it. The idea just got bigger. Yeah. All right, so let's start by talking about the negatives because we're pessimists and that's what we do. Jay Ajayi to the Eagles. Des, i got to be honest, I think this sucks for Ajayi owners. I think it sucks for LeGarrette Blunt owners. And I think it definitely, definitely sucks for Wendell Smallwood owners, the the few that there were out there. I mean, I, I don't know if it stinks, uh, to use a nicer word, for Ajayi owners. Because it's not like he was really getting it done in Miami. I mean, he had two games of over 100 rushing yards. He had four games of 51 rushing yards or fewer. He hadn't gotten in the end zone all season. He right. had the most touches in the NFL without an end zone jaunt. So how much worse could it really get for him? I think it's definitely bad news for LeGarrette Blunt. And I mean, it was already bad news for Wendell Smallwood. We saw him like not really getting any work last week, which is a surprise. Corey Clement kind of got in there. So it's definitely bad news for Blunt and Clement. I, I don't... I, you know, I, I don't. I don't know. It could be kind of a, kind of a wash for Jai. It could be fewer touches, but in a much better offense, so the chance to be much more productive with those touches. I think it's going to be significantly fewer touches for Jai. You look at what he was doing in Miami. He carried the ball 23 or more times, four games in 2017. The Eagles under Doug Peterson um, don't really rely on one rusher for a game since 2016, his first year with the club. Ryan Matthews is the only running back to surpass 20 more carries in a game, and they were both during the 2016 season. The, the high this year is only 16 carries achieved twice by Blount. 
Um, that's going to be significantly different than what Ajayi is used to. I don't, I don't know if he has any upside moving teams. I mean, the only, the only reason to be optimistic is the unknown, which really is sort of terrifying to most people, including myself. But I mean, let's not forget the Eagles have come out and said that Blunt's the starter. Ajayi is going to have to work his way into that role. And right, as you mentioned, as to this point, Ajayi was operating on volume alone. He really wasn't that effective once he got the ball. Yeah, the, the the funny the funny aspect of this trade is that the Eagles might really be making it with an eye toward the future. I mean, Ajay, I mean, uh, Blunt's on a one year contract. Right. Darren Sproles, his career is probably over with. So you figure next year, it already seemed like the Eagles probably weren't going to bring Blunt and and certainly not Sproles back. So they were going to need a running back. Uh, by all accounts, you know, they had they had a preseason scrimmage with the Dolphins and the Eagles brass really came away impressed with Ajayi. So it might have been a player they had an eye on and they just were sort of keeping tabs with the Dolphins on that. So this might be more of a play for next year. Mm-hmm. And so this year, Ajayi and Blunt might kind of split the work. Uh, you know, what, what's funny about that is that the Dolphins might have also made this trade with an eye toward the future because Ajayi, I mean, he dropped to the fifth round pick in the draft because of recurring knee issues. There's mm-hmm. kind of a mm-hmm. bone-on-bone situation there, lack of cartilage. Always, always sounds good. And he's already had some knee issues. You know, we've seen that this season already. He's missed some practices with knee issues. So I think the Dolphins were concerned about his long-term future and maybe just thought, hey, we only got him for a fifth round pick. We're getting a fourth round pick in this trade, so it's kind of a net positive for us. I, yeah, I don't know. You know, there is some thought out there. There are some fantasy analysts who seem to think that it's only a matter of time and maybe just a couple of weeks for Ajayi takes over this job because he has much more of a three-down capacity than Blunt does. And one, one, one thing that's been pointed out is um, out of, on Pro Football Focus, Jay Ajayi ranks 19th out of 44 running backs in pass protection this season, whereas Blunt is 33rd and Wendell Smallwood was 44th out of 44, which may explain why he hasn't been able to get on the field. So Ajayi is much better pass protector. He's a better receiver. So that kind of three-down talent could definitely keep him on, on the field more. You know, and we're just going to have to see what happens when they get near the goal line because they might still use Blunt in that capacity. But another stat in that regard is Blunt has not been very good this season. On 11 carries inside the five-yard line this season, he has only rushed for one yard and one touchdown. Oh, and we we don't know yet how good Ajayi is going to be because he has zero carries inside the five, and that sort of gets to how he's moving to a vastly better situation than he was in in Miami. All right, well, let's look at the worst situation back in Miami for some better opportunities. Obviously, Ajay's departure creates a vacancy that somebody's got to fill. Of the two guys that we expect to fill that role, Kenyon Drake and Damian Williams, who's the waiver priority there? Neil, is there is there one guy you're favoring over the other? I'd probably go with Drake only because he can catch the ball as well, and, and he did pretty well when he was at Alabama. So if I'm just playing the odds there, a guy that's going to be on the field more, being able to catch passes, probably be Drake, but... You know, look, it's it's a toss up, but my my waiver wire claim probably goes with Drake. Uh, I mean, it's funny because there is a lot of thought out there that Williams will be used more in the passing role, yeah. and then Drake will be the early downs guy. Even though if you look at the, if you look at the way they're built, you wouldn't necessarily think that because right. Drake is taller and a little more slender, right. and Williams is kind of the stockier guy. But it might just go to their skill sets, um, you know. And, and I think Williams has been that kind of back that sort of hangs around the league and is good in in certain situations. And like we said, pass pro and receiving might be among them. So it might be a situation where in standard leagues, Drake is the better play if indeed he becomes the early downs back. And I think that's the indication we're getting. And Williams is more the passing down guy. In both cases, you know, I don't don't see either of them being more than an RB3 at best because it's just a lousy offense. You know, I mean, that offensive line couldn't help JHI at all. Um, although I think there, you know, another reason that supposedly another reason the trade went down was that Ajayi was a, just a total malcontent there. Yeah. And they just wanted him out yeah. the door. Adam Gase apparently just had enough of his act and just wanted him out. 
So there, there may be some sort of addition by subtraction going on there. If, if Ajayi wasn't following the game plan, was being hard-headed, wasn't running the kind of uh, schemes that they wanted to, and Kenyon Drake and or Damian Williams fits their scheme better, you know, you might see some better things. So something definitely to keep an eye on when the Dolphins host the Raiders this week. How does that backfield shake out? All right. Another running back situation we're going to have to keep an eye on, the Dallas Cowboys. If Elliott's appeal doesn't go through, and right now the anticipation by most legal experts is that this is the end, that this will, his appeal will be denied and then the suspension will begin on Sunday. So that leaves Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden, some possibility, I guess, of Rod Smith coming in, but primarily Morris and McFadden, the popular names, Again, does clear favorite one way or the other. I, I, this this is murky. I don't yeah. think uh, no one. I've I tried to read up on this last night. No one ca- has any idea. Cowboys beat writers have no idea. They're all basically taking the we'll just see how it shakes out approach. I it's mean, super helpful for fantasy. Yeah, owners. Exactly. Uh, Jerry Jones said Alfred Morris will quote certainly get more carries. I think I think the one thing we do know is that Morris is going to get a decent share of this. So. If you look at it that way, he's the most known quantity here, so I think he's the highest priority player. That said, it really could be Darren McFadden getting more of the passing down work. This could be another situation where Morris is more the early down, standard league guy. McFadden is more the PPR guy. And Rod Smith, he's just a total wild card. But yeah. he, he could definitely emerge here because both, I mean, McFadden is, is on the downslope for sure of his career, and Morris might be kind of washed as well. Uh, so maybe Rod Smith really takes advantage of this thing. Yeah, the only benefit is they're getting to play behind an offensive line that should be able to create some holes. I sure. think that the the value that it, that Elliott had was was high, but I don't think it's it's high that the Cowboys are are in danger of losing their momentum for the playoffs. I personally put a waiver wire claim in for both these players only because I have Elliott and I didn't know where the team's what direction the team was going to go in. Um, I think that they kept McFadden a healthy scratch this long to keep him fresh so in hopes that he would be able to come and make an impact towards the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of validity to that, that McFadden has been inactive on game right. day all season, and it's not because they don't like him. It's because they figure his skill set overlaps with, with Ezekiel Elliott, so, and, and let's just save him for what they knew very well could be a suspension coming. Right. right, and a lot of reporters, I'm thinking here of Adam Schefter, people who are really plugged in, have said from the outset of the season that McFadden would probably be the lead back if Elliott missed any time. They're getting that from somewhere. So, I mean, obviously that thinking could have changed over the nine weeks it took for this process to play out. Yeah, but it could have. I mean, you you would think that there, that's coming from somewhere. Morris has been on the field, whereas McFadden's been inactive, so you sort of might favor it for Morris. But I think, uh, Des, we were asked on Twitter if, if McFadden is a must-add, and I think the answer is yes. Oh, he's a, he's a must-add for sure. You know, and the thing about Rod Smith that's interesting is – He's 6'3", 235. I mean, he's a huge dude, and he has agility. That's big. So he has the frame of a feature back. He reminds me a little bit of Chris Ivory in the sense that he's got some agility, he's got yeah. some running back skills, and he's certainly got the bulk. You know, so he's a guy that could play theoretically on every down and could really come in and, and make, a big, make a big splash. And, and what happens if the Cowboys go south a little bit in the standings, want to look to the future themselves? Right. Rod Smith's probably a more intriguing candidate than Morris or McFadden going forward. There's so much to keep an eye on. You better watch the Dallas Cowboys this weekend. Uh, I know I will be. One team that's probably going to take a few weeks to sort out, though, San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously an exciting opportunity for Garoppolo. Finally gets the starting gig. He was completely buried behind Tom Brady in in New England. Now he's got the San Francisco 49ers. They of the 10 offensive points the past two weeks. It seems like San Francisco 
is going to take a few weeks to sort out their starting mission. It's possible that Garoppolo doesn't take over as the starter until they come back from their bye, which is on week 11. So, again, you got some time there. Short-term, long-term, I just don't see much optimism this season right away. He's got to come in. He's got to learn Kyle Shanahan's system. We know that system takes time to take root. We saw it with Matt Ryan in Atlanta, and he had a much more established and talented core around him. Neil, Jimmy Garoppolo, is he worth adding in any format this year? Only if you're in a two-quarterback league that is deep, right? You're looking at 14 teams or something like that, some crazy number where you just need a warm body to, to fill a slot. But like you said, the learning curve is steep in Shanahan's offense, and the offensive line is terrible. I mean, there's going to be not only a learning curve, but he could be under siege for a lot of the time. Yeah that he's he's under center at least in year 1 and that's going to that could hamper any sort of learning curve that he has it will certainly hamper the production that he has and quite frankly anyone that says they know what Garoppolo is capable of or not capable of is just guessing cuz he's only ha- he's had less than 100 attempts in the NFL most of them coming in two games last year in relief of Tom Brady um, i it would be a it's a big red flag for me i don't think that i would roster him in any way this season similar thoughts for you Des? Yeah, he's he's a two he's a two quarterback league option. I think a, a pretty decent one. It, it's true that we don't know when he's actually going to get on the field. It won't be this week. You, you have to think mm-hmm. it might be in week ten. Uh, it, it, it seems more likely that that sure they'll wait through the week eleven by. Although the thing with the 49ers is they got to get him on the field and see what they have because they have to make a contract decision with him. He's an unrestricted free agent after the season. So you'd think the more games they get him into, the longer look they'll, they'll get on him. So I think there's, an, there's a solid chance he's on the field in Week 10. This is really a trade to me that has more real-life, real-world implications right. than fantasy implications. Right. It, a lot of repercussions for the league, for Kirk Cousins' situation in Washington. You know, Tom Brady's dynasty value gets solidified here. I mean, it yeah. sure looks like... His stated intention of playing into his 40s. Now the Patriots are pretty much banking on that at this point. Yeah, you well, know, they did just sign Brian Hoyer, so look out. <laughs> <laughs> right, sorry. Yes, of course the uh, the all important Brian Brian Hoyer factor back home, back where he started, I guess. So uh, you know, and it's obviously if you had C.J. Beathard in, in Dynasty or any other sorry. format, yeah, see ya. They obviously were, were deeply unimpressed. I think it is it is good. It can't not be good for their wide receivers. Uh, Pierre Garcon in particular, mm-hmm. Marquise Goodwin. Mm-hmm. Both these guys are among the lead leaders. If they're not one, two, they're right up there at the top in most targets without a touchdown. You know, you'd hope Garoppolo could get lead them in the end zone. But again, if Garoppolo doesn't play till week 12, it'll be a while before you see the value in that. Yeah, so I think that pretty well sums up the issues in San Francisco. Not a lot of difference for the supporting cast, uh, and Garoppolo only worth it in the deepest of leagues. Which brings us to the big ideas protagonist, Kelvin Benjamin and the Buffalo Bills. Now, on the surface, this was a weird trade. Panthers are in playoff contention, had a rapport with Cam Newton, or so we thought. And now he's going to Buffalo and Tyrod Taylor, who, by all accounts, is a less accomplished quarterback compared to the 2015 MVP. And yet I think it's going to help his fantasy value for two big reasons. One, they have the single easiest passing schedule from here until the end of the season. And two, there's no one else to throw to in Buffalo. What? Not Jordan Matthews? Sorry, my, my I'm beloved. sorry, Des. It's over. Oh, no. Jordan it's really Matthews. over now. Uh, I've been, I know, I've been holding a torch for Jordan Matthews all season, pretty much, and now uh, that that torch is just about extinguished. I've I've actually dropped him in the two leagues where I was clinging for dear life. It's um, for the best. Yeah, it's bad news. It's bad news for Jordan Matthews and return his clothes now. It's not bad news for Jay, Zay Jones because now Zay Jones can be terrible and no one will care anymore. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and who knows? Maybe with without the pressure of actually having to like carry the the receiving burden there, it helps for him. It's certainly a big help for Tyrod Taylor. 
Uh, that's no doubt. There's and Tyra Taylor already, as you mentioned, not just the favorable schedule for running back for wide receivers the rest away, but not coincidentally very favorable schedule for quarterbacks the rest away. So you know that boosts his value and uh, like he's been sort of hanging around the QB one fringe as it was, and I think this probably puts him solidly in, in the QB one conversation at, at the lower end of it. And it gives him a deep target to throw to. I mean the the Buffalo's receivers were not doing well in terms of catching passes. They out of eleven they caught just one in the end zone. Um, Benjamin's really tall, 6'5", huge target, um, and he can burn down the field. So I think it's a, it's a great fit for, for the Bills. And it also will help stretch that defense a little bit, which might give Tyrod Taylor a little bit more room to run as well, um, st- making, taking one less defender away from the, that middle of the field a couple of yards past the line of scrimmage. I, I li- look, I've liked Tyrod Taylor for, for a while in terms of being a QB1. I think that this obviously just helps them. But what was Carolina thinking? I mean, what are they? I'm not really sure what they're doing there. So here is the official explanation from the team, and that is they thought that Devin Funchess and Kelvin Benjamin were a little bit redundant, and that they were clogging the middle of the field in terms of the passing game, and that wasn't opening things up underneath for Christian McCaffrey. Was clogging, was bringing safeties up to the line of scrimmage, so they were clogging things up for for Stewart. I mean. Sure, I guess. And I think they were looking to de-emphasize Kelvin Benjamin going forward. So when they had the opportunity to get some value back for him, they took it. But Kelvin Benjamin's got a good track record. He's not a terrible wide receiver and by Cam any Newton, means. And Cam Newton loves him. I mean, he's the, yeah. most targeted, he's the most targeted receiver since Benjamin by Cam, since Benjamin was a rookie in 2014. And he missed the entire 2015 season with yeah. an ACL tear. Yeah. And he still blows the doors off any other receiver that they have yeah, there. I th- this was about Carolina changing its identity. And we saw them move toward this process in the draft where they took Christian McCaffrey in the first round. And then they took Curtis Samuel, a speedy, quick guy, in the second round. And Samuel's had a lot of trouble getting on the field. But clearly, they looked at their team last year and they said, we have too many tall, lumbering dudes out there between Funches, Benjamin, and Greg Olson. And let's not forget, Greg Olson is coming back. By all accounts, he's going to come back in week 12. So at that point, if you kept Benjamin, you would have a hard time Opening up, up, opening up your offense the way you wanted to. And I agree. I think they feel like Fenches and Benjamin are pretty much the same guy. So why have two of them, especially when you're trying? And they literally have said this was about the, the uh, Carolina's uh, general manager, Marty Herney, said this was about getting more speed on the field. They also think it's about opening up the running game, which has been just mm-hmm. disastrous. Mm-hmm. And Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Stewart have had nowhere to go because they feel like uh, de- defenses, defensive backs can take Kelvin Benjamin out of out of action pretty easily, and so they're they're sliding up into the box because they don't have to devote that much coverage in the in the back end because these guys aren't fast. And I looked up in NFL.com has their next gen stats. Kelvin Benjamin is actually third to last in separation among all wide receivers with at least 20 targets. He's wow. third to last. Wow. So he's not getting open, you know. And maybe Devin Funches isn't really getting open either. But then why why have two like big tall guys who can't get open? Well, and Cam Newton is not the type of guy who's just gonna like try and. Finesse one in there, you know, like he's he makes sure a guy is open before he pulls the trigger. Well, and and to some degree that that's there's a, there's similar thinking about Tyrod Taylor there. So it kind of remains to be seen like how how great a connection Taylor establishes establishes with Benjamin. I mean, it it can't be bad for him because the the Bills were in desperate need of of an impact wide receiver. But you know, I think there is some logic to what Carolina is doing. They're trying to move to be a different kind of offense, and Benjamin was just flat out getting in the way of that. All right, so I think Kelvin Benjamin's got a clear upshot here. Any upshot for those remaining in Carolina? Yeah, I mean, Benjamin had so many of the targets, they have to go somewhere. So you almost have to bump up everybody. Just not really sure who it is. I mean, 
Punches is not going to be the deep threat that Belgium that Benjamin was. He he's just not as good at catching the ball. So maybe he does get more of those uh, attempts over the, over the middle of the field. Maybe McCaffrey finally blossoms in this offense. Maybe um, Samuel kind of distinguishes himself in some way. But these there's there's no way to know until they take the field. And then when when Greg Olson returns, he probably sucks up all the oxygen, especially in terms of those short to intermediate passing and probably the red zone targets as well. I, I think Funches becomes a more reliable player. I agree. A lot remains to be seen here. But you know, he actually before this trade went down in my initial thinking about this podcast, I had him on my stock down list. Interesting. Because he'd had 53 or fewer receiving yards in his past four games. Like, he just wasn't, you know, doing, you know, we thought he would all step up in Greg Olson's absence, and initially it seemed like that, and then he's just sort of fallen off. So I think getting rid of Benjamin can only can only help Funches become a more stable, you know, it's, I wouldn't, you know, nowhere near wide receiver one, but maybe at the lower end wide receiver two, and I think certainly like a pretty safe play as a, as a wide receiver three. All right, well, you mentioned it, Des. It's stock watch time. Stock watch. Stock watch. Des, i got to be honest, I, I see a little bit of bias with the first name on your stock up list, a New York Jet. Right, yes, because I've been touting the Jets all season <laughs> long. I thought uh, it was a misprint. I didn't know we were actually talking about the Jets. I will cop to being a Jets fan, but I will also say that I am very clear-eyed about my team's uh, lack of goodness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> put, it, put it one way. Um, but Robbie Anderson, look, man, you know, he's he's becoming a bit of a consistent fantasy factor. You know, he just obviously he just come off his his best game, so it's easy to say, oh, Robbie Anderson. I mean, he, had, he caught six of six targets for 104 yards and a touchdown against the Falcons. Did a lot of his damage against the Falcons' top cornerback, Desmond Trufant. And what, what we saw from Anderson is what we've seen really going back to last year, which is that he can get open. I mean, he has... He's had three de- good games so far. Yeah, he has definite NFL skills. He can burn guys on the outside. And, you know, there's some question of, like, whether the... And Josh McCown can, to some degree, get the ball out there. He's capable. He's capable. You know, so Anderson has, has definitely been up and down. He has four games with 35 or fewer yards. He scored at least in one of those games. And he has, in his, four of his past six games, he has at least 75 yards receiving or a touchdown. Yeah, I think that's so the key factor for me. Yeah, so more often than not, he has been useful in fantasy. And I'm, I'm not talking about Robbie Anderson. Okay, you know, like, again, like Funches, not a wide receiver one. But I think a guy you can play as a wide receiver three, maybe a little more hit, certainly more hit or miss than Funches. Five weeks. But, but the upside is huge with yeah. Robbie Anderson because he can always, he has has that real capacity to get you that 40-yard touchdown. Another name on the stock watch list, and another name that's probably not a household name at this point, but one that's going to have a lot of value, I think, going forward, as the Seahawks are clearly a second-half team, Paul Richardson out in Seattle. Right. I mean, the, the Seahawks are a second-half team, and they become a throwing team. I mean, they yep. cannot run the ball, and we're not going to get into their <laughs> running back situation. Really? I really uh, want to talk about uh, that God, again. No. no, but what we didn't talk about the big idea was one of the one of the trades that went down that sent Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, to Seattle. That is a huge upgrade for the offensive line. It should be a major help for Russell Wilson, giving him a little bit more time to throw. To Paul Richardson. To Paul Richardson, right. You know, obviously Doug Baldwin is the number one there, but he plays in the slot. And all season long... There's been this interesting battle between Paul Richardson and Tyler Lockett to see who's the official number two there. I don't think that that competition's certainly not over. In fact, they're very similar in terms of targets, receptions, and yards. But Richardson has a 5-0 edge in touchdowns. You know, maybe there's a little bit of flukiness to that, but I think Richardson has shown that he's a guy that Wilson's going to look for in the end zone. And, he's, and it, I think it probably helps that he's a bigger guy than, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Richardson's not huge. He's like six foot, but that's bigger than Lockett or Doug Baldwin. He scored in four of his past six games. And, he, and he's shown also this knack of making really tough, leaping, juggling, sort of contested catches. So he's got, you know, excellent uh, ball skills and a nose for the end zone, apparently. So there's a lot to like there. 
All right, well, if there was bias with Dez's first name on this <laughs> list, there is definite bias with a third, and it's just me loving to say Jack Doyle. Doyle rules. <laughs> yep, Jack Doyle, P.I. Uh, he's uh, been tremendous for the Texans. In fact, he's been the apple of Jacoby Brissett's eye. I mean, he's clearly established himself as the dominant number one pass catcher there. He just came off a game where he had 12 catches for 121 yards and a touchdown on a whopping 14 targets against the Bengals. You know, T.Y. Hilton... I mean, like Jacoby Brissett cannot seem to find T. Way Hilton, but whatever he lacks in that connection, he's got with Doyle. You know, he's seen at least seven targets in each of his last four games, so I think he's he's made, turned himself into very much a, a tight end one. Yeah, he's caught at least five passes in five of the last six games, and he's the only player on the team with much, multiple touchdown receptions. If you're looking, if you're looking for a guy to to fill in on a bye week or even just fill in, I mean, he's he's certainly doing his part. When Marshawn Lynch was suspended, we talked about an opportunity for two running backs out in Oakland. Jalen Richard did not seize that opportunity, and his stock is down. Yeah, I mean, his stock wouldn't be super high anyway because Marshawn Lynch, it was a one-game suspension, and he's expected back this week. Uh, that said, I mean, I saw that last game where Lynch was out as an opportunity for either Richard or DeAndre Washington to really step up and, and make a play for, for more work down the stretch. And it, it also was going to be a testing ground to see who did the Raiders really like more. And i got to admit, I took a little bit of an L on that because I've always liked Jalen Richard more. I thought he was the more explosive back. His yards per carry has always been noticeably higher than either Lynch or Washington. And it still is on the team, but he did very little in this game. And whereas Washington really got a lot more of the work, caught 8 of 10 targets for 62 yards, got the touchdown, which he also had the previous week after Lynch uh, was kicked out of that game. So it looks like the team likes Washington just a little bit more. He's apparently far more likely to score a touchdown. All told, uh, you know, I, I just think the bloom is off of Jalen Richard a little bit. Yeah, DeAndre Washington was a, a zero running back strategy darling coming into the season, especially late, just in case Marshawn Lynch got hurt or just in case. Or uh, old. Or old. Um, <laughs> or Richard couldn't couldn't quite do it. Um, but, yeah, disappointing. I mean, you always, you, you know, we talked about looking to the future. This is the type of game where you can kind of set your stake in the ground for future touches, especially if the incumbent is having either an off day or isn't able to play, and Rashard just wasn't able to do it. Mike Evans, the next name out on the stock down list. How much of this is Evans, and how much of this is Jameis Winston, who's injured? It's a lot of Jameis Winston, who's injured. Absolutely, yes. This isn't a stock down because Mike Evans is, is necessarily doing anything wrong. In fact, he's still hauling in targets, and this has been a high-volume passing attack. The problem is it's been a very inefficient passing attack. I mean, Evans is fourth in the NFL, averaging 9.7 targets per game, and he scored in four of seven games, so, you know, what's not to like, but he's been below 70 yards in four games, has yet to top 100 yards in any game. Now he goes up against the Saints, who all of a sudden are a tough matchup. Where'd that come from? The Saints are ranked fourth in the NFL by football outsiders in pass defense, DVOA. Uh, They're 11th against number one receivers, so maybe Evans has a slightly better matchup there. But but yes, to get back to your point, this is about Jameis Winston. His shoulder injury is very worrisome. He might get shut down, maybe not this week, but if, if you know, he he apparently re-aggravated his shoulder injury last week. If he goes down, that paves the way for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I don't want to hear about any Fitz magic. That's a downgrade for the entire offense. So there are just some worrisome signs for Evans out there. Yeah, I I drafted Evans in the first round in, in a couple different leagues, and I don't think I have more trepidation in terms of filling the roster spot because you don't know what you're going to get, and I think it almost hurts that he's so good because you don't want to miss out on that first 100-yard game 
But, you know, again, with the quarterback situation the way it is, it's going to be tough, especially against that Saints defense. Yeah, I don't think you can bench Mike Evans under any circumstances. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's just got to ride it out. Exactly. It's not so much about benching him. Right. It's just about it's his, his wide receiver one status. Right. Yeah, his elite status, I think, is, is quite. So I put him in the flex and feel better about myself. There you go. Javorius Allen, also known as Buck Allen. Sure. And also known as the guy who's about to lose his job to Danny <laughs> <Right>. Woodhead. <laughs> right. Synonymous with stinks. Yeah. I don't know if he stinks so much as he's just going to be uh, uh, unemployed. That's not not unemployed, but unusable in fantasy formats. Yeah, the clock is really ticking on Allen, I think. So if you have him on your, on your teams, uh, best to see what you can get from now. I mean, look, I mean, first of all, like him carrying the ball – really needs to stop happening because he's so <laughs> much worse than Alex Collins. And in fairness, Alex Collins has been incredible. Yeah. I mean, he's averaging 6.0 yards per carry. That easily leads the NFL. How did they not give him more touches? Well, they were worried about his fumbling issues, and he did fumble a couple times early. But, I mean, I just think when a guy's been that good, and you know, and, they, and I think the fumbling has been part of the reason Collins has not been getting goal line looks, which have propped up Allen's value to a certain degree in some of these games. He's been getting the goal line carries. I'd find it hard to believe if, if that continues. You know, just just in the past game, Allen had only two fewer touches than Collins, but Collins outgained him 143 to 57. Yeah, that's not subtle. I mean, Allen had 16 touches and turned them into 57 yards. That's terrible. He had 14 touches the week before for 49 yards. He has 32 catches on the season, but only for 145 yards, which is a 4.5 average, which is horrible. And as I mentioned, Danny Woodhead, coming back from hamstring injury, he's already started practicing. He's supposed to take the field in week 11. So, I mean, we're heading into week nine. So so sell Javorius Allen while you can, or Buck Allen. Sell either of them. Yeah, and the Titans will take care of the carry issue because they're 5.5 favorites at home, and when Baltimore's leading, they rush two out of every three plays, and when they're trailing, they rush only one out of every three. So chances are they'll be trailing in this game. There won't be many touches to go around. Nevertheless, one more takeaway from that little exchange. Danny Woodhead sounds very much like a value pick. Is that right? Yes, that's okay. right. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Value pick. All right, Neil, a little unorthodox for you this week with your value pick. Explain yourself for picking a defense. Yeah, I, there's six teams that are on a bye week this week, so my value pick's the Arizona Cardinals versus the 49ers. We talked about how bad their offensive line is. We talked about how bad their quarterback is. The Niners, that is. The Niners, yeah. This is a great spot for Arizona coming off the bye. They're only owned in about 30% of ESPN leagues, and the 49ers have allowed the quarterback to be sacked 27 times this season, second most, nine sacks, five takeaways just in the past two games, um, and the offense is is not doing anything. So this is a good opportunity, I think, to uh, get the Cardinals in your lineup. Interesting. Well, I'll have a little bit of a refutation for you later. Des, let's get to your pick right now. Sammy Watkins, it's a shame Jeff Dooley is still not in on the show, yeah. enjoying his honeymoon somewhere. Yeah, uh, we can only hope Sammy Watkins, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Uh, well, we know who won't be at the Rams Giants game, which uh, that's Janoris Jenkins, the <laughs> Giants' top cornerback. He's been suspended indefinitely, and that is very good news for Watkins, for whom there hasn't been a lot of good news this season. You know, since that blow up in week three, where he caught six catches for 106 yards and two touchdowns, he's done almost nothing. You know, like his last game, because the Rams are coming out of a bye. Before that, he caught three of five targets for 42 yards, and that was actually like a pretty decent showing for him compared to where he'd been before. So part of what I'm wondering with Sammy Watkins is, did, did the Rams use the bye to try to incorporate him a little bit more in the offense? Remember, they traded for him shortly before the regular season began, so he didn't get a, uh, an off-season workout to the team, didn't get much of a training camp with the team. So maybe they used the bye to kind of work, some, work out some of the kinks. That remains to be seen, but I say value pick because if there's going to be a spot for him to blow up in, it probably is this one. 
Makes sense to me. All right, Neil, I'm coming for you with this one. So I'm going to borrow this from from Pro Football Focus's Daniel Kelly, who wrote uh, this on the WashingtonPost.com today. I'm going with Marquise Goodwin of the 49ers, and here's why. The Cardinals have allowed the fourth most fantasy points to receivers. That is including Patrick Peterson allowing 82 total yards when he's targeted this season, and one touchdown, apparently. Now, if Peterson's going to shadow Pierre Garçon, which is probably what you'd expect, it sounds like there's going to be a really big day for Marquise Goodwin, and that seems like a pretty good pick against the Cardinals' defense, even though they might have a bunch of sacks and possibly some turnovers. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's there's some points you get from points allowed, but most of the points for defenses come in sacks, takeaways, interceptions, fumbles, and the occasional pick six. So, yeah, I have no doubt that San Francisco will be able to get some points on the board. I just think that their offense is so inept, it's going to provide tons of opportunities to get points everywhere else. Fire beware. 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 Well, Halloween is in the rearview mirror, but we've got some scary names for Week 9. Dez, get us started. AJ Green. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> Me at either. All. Do it again. <laughs> AJ Green. <laughs> um, you know, not normally a, a name you would be scared of uh, if you're going to play him. And uh, you know, I, again, a guy you I don't you can't bench him. It's a little. It's like Mike Evans. You're not going to bench AJ Green, but yeah. you might want to put him at your flex spot. You know, like Neil was indicating, because he's got the roughest of matchups at the Jaguars. Jalen Ramsey has been a complete shutdown cornerback. Jacksonville allows the fewest fantasy points to wide receivers, and Green has been kind of shaky of late. His past two games, he went three catches on six targets for 41 yards, and then he followed it up with three catches on eight targets for 27 yards and a touchdown. He's been under 75 yards in five of his seven games, so, you know, it's, it, Dalton's been having some trouble getting him the ball, and, like, this certainly looks like a matchup where Dalton could have a lot of trouble getting him the ball. Yeah, I wouldn't play anybody against the Jacksonville defense right now, like you mentioned. Lowest points allowed to to wide receivers. They allow an average of six PPR points per wide receiver. That's insane. In the league this year. That is insanely low. You're talking about maybe 30 yards and three catches, uh, 40 yards and three catches. It's just not going to be pretty. So, um, yeah, I I wouldn't play anybody. Neil, looks like you have another wide receiver pegged and another wide receiver with so many concerns, but also a very unfavorable matchup on Sunday. Yeah, I, I kept listing off the strikes against Jamison Crowder for the Washington Redskins, and I think I stopped at five. So let's just start with the fact <laughs> only five that he's, he's not practicing, right? That's red flag number one. Number two, he's got to go up against the Seattle Seahawks defense, number five pass defense in the league. If, they run from the, if, they, if he runs from the slot where he runs two-thirds of his route, he's got to go up against slot corner Justin Coleman, who's allowing a 56.4 passer rating to opposing quarterbacks. If they decide to line Crowder out wide, he's got to face Richard Sherman if he goes on his side of the field, who doesn't allow anybody to, to make any catches. And then if that's not enough, name one person on the Redskins offensive line. We, we are, and I'm showing <laughs> yeah. fingers so close together, this close to having one of us in this room called up to play because they don't have enough offensive linemen to practice, yeah. let alone who's going to be protecting Kirk Cousins in the pocket come Sunday. I just think that this is a – talk about scary. We're doing a ha- Halloween thing. Jamison Crowder, probably one of the scariest wide receivers to put in your lineup this week. I mean, if you went down the Redskins injury report and just read it aloud, you would need oxygen by the time you finish. It would, is ridiculous. It's what's like the starting on right roster. Now. 
Yeah. No, it basically And is. Jordan Reed is out, too. Yeah. Oh. Wh- which, in theory, could help Crowder, J- Jordan Reed being out, although da- Vernon Davis has been... Sta- yeah, on a regular week. But I agree. This is a awful matchup, and Kirk Cousins might just be running for his life out there. He's yeah. calling sick. As he should. All right, same game, different team. Doug Baldwin is my guy, and this is because the Redskins' secondary looks like it could be largely intact. Josh Norman has been lights out. He came back last week against the Cowboys, and the Cowboys had just 90 yards of passing offense. Part of that was game script because they had held the lead early in the second half. But Bashad Breland looks like he's going to be back for this game, and Norman and Breland in tandem have been very good. I think that Jimmy Graham will have a big game underneath. Maybe even one of the otherwise terrible uh, Seahawks running backs could put up some points. The Washington uh, Washington defensive line is not uh, healthy. Matt Ioannidis and Jonathan Allen are both out. I just don't see the points here for Baldwin in the passing game. I think C- Seattle gets a lead early. Holds on, has no need to go deep. Well, they, they'd love to just be able to pound the ball and work out some of the kinks in their running game and, and give Dwayne Brown a little bit of a chance in that regard as well. So, you know, I could see them wanting to throw the ball as little as possible if they can just sort of squash this team and, and, and sit on a lead. All right, well, it figures to be some gory viewing out in Seattle in Week 9 for the Redskins. What to watch for. All right, Des, what are you going to be tuning into this week? Well, I talked about the Rams early a little bit. They're coming out of a bye. Uh, so are the Giants, and they're playing the Rams, as I mentioned. Hey. So, you know, in, in this case, I'm going to flip it around and look at the Giants' offense because it'll be interesting to see what kind of changes they were able to make during the, during the bye week, the chance to kind of, you know, reassess their team, obviously in the wake of season-ending injuries to Odell Beckham and Brandon Marshall. What's interesting about this game is Sterling Shepard is expected back from his ankle injury. So I'm really eager to see what his role is in the offense. Do they give him a full slate right away? Is he definitely... The, the top wide receiver there. Is he the top receiver, period, or do they continue to feature Evan Engram in the passing game, who's been that de facto top target for Eli Manning, such as it is? I mean, it's, it's really been a disaster for that offense, but mm. they've, had, they've had a chance to sort of reassess things. And obviously, also in, in the running game, my guy, Orleans Darkwa, is he going to continue to look good? Will he continue to hold off Wayne Gallman? You know, Paul Perkins is still hanging around. Who the heck knows? I'm just very interested. You know, there's a chance that this team could be I mean, it's been, it's been a bit of a disaster. There's a chance in the second half that maybe they figure a few things out and that they're a better offense going forward. And I was just curious as to what their first steps they're going to take toward that goal are against what, what has been a pretty tough defense in the Rams. I'm going to be watching what does the Panthers offense look like against the Atlanta Falcons. It takes guts, in my opinion, to trade your most targeted receiver over the past couple of years from a team that's very much in playoff contention, very much in the NFC North race. Um, who's Cam Newton going to lean on? Is it going to be Russell Shepard? Is it going to be rookie Curtis Samuel? Is it going to be Kalen Clay? I mean, we don't know who. <laughs> Those are some really big names. Right. We, we don't know who is going to be the hero Clay. of your fantasy week, uh, week nine. Um, but I, but the, you know, the, the other side of having inexperienced wide receivers, I guess, is there's not enough tape on them to make any sort of right. defensive adjustments. So it could very right. well be Cam Newton finds a rhythm with somebody and, Maybe they have a big game, so I'm well, going to be watching Well, a lot that. of people pointed out that when two years ago, uh, when Kevin Benjamin was out recovering from the ACL tear, Cam Newton won MVP of the NFL. Right. Oh. He was incredible without Kevin Benjamin. So maybe so there's some of that going. Maybe there's some you so theory. So Benjamin was holding him back is yeah, what you're apparently saying. Apparently he was. Well, I mean, the Panthers certainly seem to think that he was holding back the offense in some regard. I think they're also really going to want to try to run the ball in that game. I was game. about to say, he, Cam Newton also rushed for a gazillion touchdowns that year. Yeah, that helped. All right, so maybe some addition by subtraction in Carolina. Out in Denver, 
there is definite subtraction going on, and that is because it's time for the Brockening. Brock Osweiler rides again. Brock I was, Osweiler. I, I thought this was a joke when I first saw it. No, this is real. This it's is not, real. Look, if you saw that game against the Chiefs, you know it's not a joke. Trevor Simeon was terrible. Yes. Yes. No, tr- there's no question. Have you that. seen Brock Osweiler? But, but Simeon was so... You he gotta was, do something. He was so bad, it's, it's a mandatory benching. It's not so much... It's just whoever was number two in the depth chart had to get the start this week because Trevor Simeon said, I don't want to be the starting quarterback of this team anymore. He was that bad. Right. No, and I, I totally agree with that. Here's the thing. Osweiler wasn't terrible when he was in Denver. Ooh, hot take. Hot whoa, take. Whoa, I know. Whoa. Seriously. He wasn't terrible. Are we talking about the same guy? Yes. We're talking about the same guy. But then he went to Denver. or um, Houston. Like I said, then he went to Houston. And then he went to Cleveland. And we all know what happens when you go to Cleveland. Now he's back. Can he harness something? Just make sure that the, the terrible trickle down doesn't get to Demarius Thomas and C.J. Anderson and Emmanuel Sanders. Just keep it away from those three, and I think fantasy owners will be fine. I just don't know if that's possible. I mean, we haven't seen it from him in two years. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that he's going to be worse than Simeon was in the last game, but we've seen Simeon also at the same time be good at other times in his career, sort of a little bit more than we've seen from Osweiler. So it's a, it's a desper- desperation move by, the, by Denver. All right, well, thanks again for Neil for filling in for the past two weeks. We'll welcome Jeff back to the studio next week if he brings back some nice treats from his honeymoon for us. In the meantime, remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Leave us a review while you're there. Give us a shout-out on Twitter. We love getting Twitter questions. We mentioned it today. At Blue and Gold and I have had a great back and forth over the course of the season. I know Des has had his regulars as well. Yep. Please make it more of a habit. We love talking fantasy football. And to that end, I'm at Mikey Post. I'm at Des Beeler. And I'm at N. Greenberg. All right. We'll see ya. (laughs) That was the smoothest ending ever. Ever.